Welcome to China Tech Talk, a weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I am John Artman, editor in chief of Techno.com. So this episode is part two of two, looking at Huawei's internal culture.、Uh, we pick off where we left off from the last episode, so I highly recommend that you listen to that episode first、uh, before you listen to this one. And the link, of course, will be in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is how it's such a microcosm for I think、um, China and the world in general is that like you look at Belt and Road and you look at you know what kind of Xi Xi Jinping's、uh, kind of goals and ambitions are. A lot of it is kind of what Huawei has done as a, as a company is to say, well, like we can try to engage you know in the through the in through these standard practices. Huawei said we could try to do you know kind of a you know traditional Western style corporate governance and you know operate in this way. Um, the way that Lenovo has, or we can just create our systems ourselves, and that's really what you know. If you look at what what China has been trying to do, kind of with Belt and Road, is in saying instead, and and with you know the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank, excuse me, and these other、um, you know, kind of their their approaches to global power, a lot of it is kind of like this: is instead saying, okay, well, we can't if we try to work within the UN too much, or if we try to work within you know the IMF or the, these these traditional. Uh, institutions for global governance,、um, then we're going to have too much trouble. Like it's just going to be too mafan. It's just like it's just it's let's just create our own system, and、um, and that's kind of what what Huawei has done. But it also there are tons of these 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 side effects that cause cause problems as well. And one thing that that really helps me understand Huawei is that military background and to think about the way that China has had that the, that the PRC itself has had military success. And how similar it is to Huawei. When, when I read these Glassdoor reviews, what what constantly people from Europe, from the U.S., from Australia will complain about is they will use that term "human rights." They'll say like, "Oh, like Huawei has no respect for human rights," <laughs> right?、Um, and they're willing to kind of just throw people, throw resources at a problem until it gets done. And it actually reminds me a lot of kind of the the reading more about the Chinese effort in the Korean War. In that.、Um, You know, the Korean War was a huge success for the for the People's Republic of China,、um, standing up to what was then to, to you know the U.S., which was the biggest military power in the world,、um, just coming off of, of a big win in World War II,、um, and um, they they basically、uh, you know fought them to a stalemate.、Um, how did they do it? They did it by just pouring people、um, in and just not really caring about human life. <laughs> um, and just constantly pouring soldiers、um, into into the war, into the the war,、um, and you know Mao famously said,、um, you know、uh, even you know China has six hundred million people. Even if we lose half of them, we still have three million, three hundred million.、Um, but this this want this willingness to just like sacrifice people、um, in order to you know achieve their goals, I think has been a key to China's success.、Um, So I think for a lot of、uh, like、Chinese managers, it's it's what does China do better than anyone else?、Um, you know, they can't necessarily they they're, they're they're innovating more now than they used to, but they still don't innovate better than they don't have quality control better. What they do is they can pour resources in and they can focus and they can just slam energy into something and not really care about the human the human ass the short term. 
human right. aspect. It, it, it's it's right? interesting as well. I mean, it's not just the the Korean War, but you know, you, China China historically, you know, they've done a lot of um, these these huge projects. I mean, obviously, the Great Wall is is an example, um, but there's all sorts of different you know canal projects, uh, deforestation projects, reforestation projects, um, spanning spanning throughout history. And you know, it, in in both cases, in all these cases, it shows not only kind of a, a disregard for for individual life, uh, but also kind of a disregard for the overall the overall impact. It's more like we're just going we're going to do this because we think it's 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 good. Um, and that's and that's and I think that's one of the one of the 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 big problems that I mean a lot of companies are kind of uh, facing right now. Companies that 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 I'm talking to Chinese companies, um, but then also you know our own company is how do you how do you pivot from a, a corporate culture of uh, of people who think that for example they're in HR, so that means that they set the rules and everyone has to follow the rules versus. They're in HR, and their job is to support employees, um, you know, by 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 providing insurance, by um, providing, you know, helping out with expense reports, um, helping out with uh, with getting visas, and and and, and all these things. Um, and I think that that you know what what you were just saying really kind of points to that that big problem and the big and a huge difference in mentality. I mean, I think it's it's a bit hackneyed at this point, but it's still it's still quite true um, to say that you know. In in the West, we look at the individual, and in the East, and uh, in, in in China in particular, they look at the group, and and how that plays out is is really really important. I was having a, a, a conversation with um, with one of our listeners, um, Ed Sander. If you're if you're listening, this is this is about the conversation that uh, that he and I were having, and he was asking me. So, but John, you know, on the one hand. You say that China China focuses on on the collective, but then on the other hand, you know why is it that we see so much selfish behavior? And it's actually a really interesting point that deserves a bit of discussion. And and I think a lot of it has to do with um with the with you know in groups versus out groups. And this is true certainly you know of the of the you know you're either Chinese or you're not right. You're you're Chinese or you're foreigner. You're 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 Zhongguoren or you're Weiguoren. There's really no no in between. You know, when I was traveling with my wife uh, years and years ago um, to uh, to Italy for our pre honeymoon or our pre wedding honeymoon, um, you know, she was she was like, "Oh, look at look at that foreigner." I'm like, "Anna, we're 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 not in China. You're you're a foreigner too." <laughs> um, and so it, it's it, there there is that in in group out group mentality. And so if you're part of the in group, people will go be above and beyond to to uh, to help you out. Uh, and, and, and you know, we're talking about Huawei, especially one of the reasons that, let's say, as you were saying before, you know, for um, going going abroad and doing projects, they'll people will bring people they trust with them. Well, that trust is built on the fact that they know that these people will go above and beyond for them, and then they will go in, above and beyond for them as well. But then the foreigners, well, they're I mean, automatically, I mean, you know, even even though you know all three of us have been here for for a long time. Um, there's no way we're ever going to be part of the the, the broader overall you know Chinese in group, and so foreigners are automatically discounted because of that. Um, and then of course it just it just makes makes things um, so much so much more difficult. Um, but 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 again, I think this idea you know looking at Huawei culture, looking at uh, Chinese culture in general, um, that that there is that discounting of of the individual and kind of a, a bit of a, a sacrifice for the group, a sacrifice for the country or the the family or uh, the, the 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 company or or the department. Um, yeah, I got a question um, that I don't think was covered in the article too deeply. I'm sure some of the listeners would also be thinking, 
um, about this. You know, you've mentioned that the compensation. Okay, these these Huawei employees they, they go through hell, and uh, there's very, there's a wolf culture, and they're all competing with each other. But they put up with it because they're compensated well. So exactly how well compensated are they? You know, how much are Huawei employees being uh, paid over the market rate? That's the question. Okay. Well, first of all, a lot of it is based on performance. So they will get uh, look. They seem to. I don't know the details, but people seem to. People who I've spoken to talk about lucrative bonuses for hitting targets, promotions for hitting targets, and um, you know, uh, strong uh, you know pay raises. Uh, but also, they get uh, their share plan so that uh, that people who have been with the company for a long time they get they get shares in the company so that. Um, you know, they, they own part of the company. Um, and as the company increases in value, um, then, you know, they have a, an asset that, that they're building. Um, so it is, it is, it is highly possible um, because of that share plan that there could be somebody who is lower ranking, but who has, who has acquired enough company shares um, over their career with the company that actually the compensation that they're getting um, is greater than somebody who joins a company later who is higher ranking. Um, which kind of uh, insinuates or implies this idea of kind of this this long termism, this loyalty um, that that you know even if you're not quite as high ranking, uh, if you've been with the company longer, you are kind of more one of them, more part of the system um, than than somebody who isn't. And so Huawei is not a publicly listed company, right? So these shares are um, what happens if they leave? How would they? get liquidity from, from those shares. shares. From what I understand from speaking with people, now this is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, so somebody can go ahead and you know tweet at, uh, at TechNode because um, I'm not 100% sure, but from my understanding, they cannot liquidate their shares at this current moment, that, they are, that the shares are an asset that they are holding onto to build long-term wealth because eventually the day will come when those shares are um, are liquidatable, um, but I I I am not one hundred percent sure about how exactly that works. And Matt actually got a chance to talk with Salmon, his co-founder at China Channel, about the uh, compensation structure and the uh, the shares and how exactly that works. Uh, it's very interesting, and I think it sheds a lot of light on um, on how exactly that works. There's been a lot of speculation, but uh, but Salmon actually has the inside scoop. So, uh, Salmon, so you know, um, in Huawei, people complain the culture is very harsh and people have expected to work very long hours. Um, but they're also meant to be compensated quite well. So when people say that Huawei employees are compensated well, um, how, how well exactly? And how does that compensation work typically? Um, I think in the salary, our wage structure, uh, I think this is, uh, I think, three parts. Um, first part is the, the monster wage. And uh, also you got a bonus um, for your performance. Mm -hmm. And the second part, the third part is uh, the, um, uh, the, the shares, which is uh, uh, one of, uh, I think, a very significant part. So uh, in Huawei, is, uh, I think it's a uh, uh, wage structure is uh, very, um, very unique. And Huawei's uh, human resources department is a very powerful department. 
and he will actually try. To, the goal is try to get the most out of every everyone. And usually they were divided to uh, import it into two parts. One is the new uh, new fish, new graduates, and the two uh, another one is uh, the old old staff. All right. And for new uh, uh, new graduates, um, I know most of them are just wait uh, earn eight wages. And uh, the wage, uh, as far as I my experience, I think the wage is uh, usually thirty. Percent higher than the industrial standard, and uh, for this old staff, like uh, have several years uh, experience within Huawei, and a significant part of uh, their income is uh, from the shares, right? The share uh, price will be uh, like uh, the share will be allocated allocated to people, uh, staff with uh, according to their performance, and um. um And every year the shares price will go uh go up, mm-hmm. and uh, also they can earn every year they can earn you know bonus from the shares, you know. Okay, so the share price is going up. Um, how you know Huawei is not a publicly listed company, so how would you gain liquidity from those shares? Hmm. I what you mean? I mean, how would you ultimately sell them? Who would you sell them to? How would you exit? Um, actually, they cannot. You know, usually uh, I haven't heard anybody sell them. You know, it's uh, it's forbidden. Actually, you cannot sell the shares. Uh, the only one you can sell the share is the company itself. And usually, uh, is when you uh, quit the company, mm. and the company will actually uh, a company will not allow you to keep the the shares. And and there's a very unique policy within Huawei, and Huawei asks people to retire at the age of forty five. So at the forty five, when you quit, when you re- retired, and you don't earn any wage anymore, but you can keep your shares. So still you can um, you can gain the share uh, bonus and the, the share appreciation. So a lot of people aim to keep the shares. They will not just sell the shares. They just want to uh, get more and more shares. That's an interesting policy. So you have to retire age forty-five. Yes. Why is that? I think you know people. I think in Huawei, people,、uh, human resources is always thinking about how to motivate people. And if you have too many years experience in Huawei, they think you are kind of lose your motivation. You kind of、uh, you know,、uh, kind of sit in your、uh, history and not make so many efforts. But meanwhile, you earn a lot, a lot, right?、Mm. The new、uh, graduates,、mm. so so they don't want too many such people. So they they will never let you settle. And one of thing I、um, also explored is、uh, um, they will always come up with some policy aiming at those people, you know, who stay in Huawei for quite a few years and earn a lot,、mm-hmm. uh, even even though they are already in management manag- management level. No matter you are in a basic man- management or a middle or higher, it's the same. So. We have a saying actually: the management in Huawei is、um, is a very tough job.、Yeah. So they got policies specifically designed to unsettle those people. 
provide, yeah. you know, um, make sure that they still have competitive forces and they don't become very comfortable, rest on their laurels. Exactly. I have two cases. One is my friend, actually, he is a, a basic, uh, in the basic management and in his team is over about 100 people. And quite recently, and he was sent, falsely sent to uh, a domestic market to doing the, those uh, uh, basic, basic, you know, work. Like, uh, you know, go actually go to the site to set up the communication uh, kind of basic work with new graduate, mm -hmm. you know, so, so uh, which is very tough. To okay, know. so like they actually, it sounds a bit like... Uh, in the 1960s in China with the uh, going back to the countryside with Chairman Mao they would send you out is, is, is there some similarity there that like you take the re-education in the countryside is that what's going on? Um, I, I think that's a very interesting compare, comparison you know though. I've never thought about that but uh, in a sense I think uh, Huawei just uh, they don't want you to settle they don't mm. just want you to sit in a sit, sit in a position uh, come in a comfort zone you know this right. is a two uh, basic management I also have uh, some uh, very high management mm. a director of a de department actually uh, they send Huawei send him to Africa mm -hmm. because in Huawei uh, we have such a policy those who want to go to the most uh, tough area Mm -hmm. You know, goes through the you know these uh, all these um, hardships, uh, hardships mm -hmm. challenges will get reward reward. You know, Re rewarded best. Yeah. Rewarded best, yes. Mm -hmm. So actually, the force. I think you know uh, that's uh, uh, director. They already said they have a whole family, right? In, in Shenzhen, you know, already settled down, and uh, but so they forced him to move to Africa. So when it comes to this uh, uh, company policy, is uh, is kind uh, is quite harsh. Uh, company will never think about your family. Actually, actually, no, that's true. That's not true. They think about the com your family, and they do something. Actually, <laughs> makes you very uh, uncomfortable. They will uh, sometimes actually they will do it on purpose to make you not stay with your company. Well, not not stay with your family. That's kind of harsh. Yeah. Really? So you're saying they would, uh, they would, there are case studies that you've seen where you feel that they deliberately implemented something to uh, knowing that the that the uh, new task would take the employee away from their family. Um, yeah, I think yeah. There's uh, maybe maybe I put it this way. I think you know. Uh, um, Huawei, when Huawei, he decided where to send these people, all right? Mm -hmm. He will not think about your family. If you okay. are from, uh, for example, if you are from uh, Sichuan province, he will not send you back to Sichuan province, okay? He will send you, send you to another place. And, and, and that's a deliberate choice? Yeah, that's a deliberate choice. And of course, he, I, I don't mean that Huawei wants to break up your family. That's mm -hmm. not what right. I'm saying. It's just you know he said when when uh, the 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 policy of this company is so strong he think he think you know people should go to front line mm. to face the challenge this is how Huawei grows so uh, when it comes to that point Huawei will not think about your family so much but of course Huawei will encourage you uh, to take your family with you 
and he would uh, facilitate that by setting up some um, uh, policies. Uh, for example, if you move to you, you go to Africa, right? Uh, they they will give you an apartment, a whole apartment, so you and your family, your wife, your children can can live inside together, and you can um, have some uh, some I think a bonus because you you bring your family there. Um, but uh, they will not uh, say uh, consider you if you say I'm in Shenzhen, I'm fam- my family is in Shenzhen, I have a children, I have a newborn children, a child, you know. Mm-hmm. Can I stay in Shenzhen? That's a absolutely, absolutely no. Right. 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 So it's not not so much a policy of like deliberately trying to break up families. It's no, more no, no. just a a policy of uh, um, like disregard for um, you know your personal situation and actually maybe a little bit proactively trying to make people uh, un- uh, push their limits. Perhaps. Yeah. 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 To some extent, I can say Huawei's uh, policy, cultural uh, culture, is a bit against human nature. So they have to compensate, compensating other way, to keep right. people uh, uh, stay. That's why uh, people complain, but they still stay. They st- uh, people still stay, in your opinion, mostly because the compensation is uh, yes, yeah, mostly. But they also get a sense of achievement. I mean, like they. Uh, yes, from, from yes. working so hard, I guess, and like yes. getting to, the results. Yeah, to some extent, and especially now Huawei is like an international company, number one tele- telecommunication company in the world. So um, this, uh, I think, ego, you know, self-driven thing is uh, culture is definitely there. Yeah. Um, final question, I guess, um, controversial one. Uh, so outside of China, there's a lot of talk um, in media and people are saying, oh, you know, Huawei is basically a military company and they have connections with the, with the Chinese army. Um, what's your take on, on, on this? Um, to be honest, I don't have a final say about this, but uh, the bosses definitely have a military background. That's for sure. That's the fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some rumors in that why Huawei uh, doesn't go public is because of the military, uh, pro, uh, military background and also the share because now it issues shares to staff, right? Mm-hmm. As literally, I think, um, I don't know the percentage, but uh, there is a very high percentage of employee uh, owns the shares. So the share structure is so complicated and they make it on purpose. So they don't go public, uh, but how much it owns to the military, military background, actually, to be honest, I, I don't know. Yeah, so that, that wants to really, I think a lot of people would be interested in, in the sort of military traditions of, 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 um, of Huawei. Uh, there's a lot of articles written about it, but it's mostly about Westerners writing, mm. journalists um, who are either abroad or they, there's no clear information about it. Um, about the sort of connections there. Um, how could we phrase this? Mm, if you're, in, in your opinion, should people be, should um, foreign companies or governments be worried about those connections? Uh, sorry? What kind of connections? I don't get it. With the PLC? Mm, PLC. Mm, I think you know uh, 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 
reality in China is if you want to run a company, uh, you have to, uh, at, especially at the size of Huawei, you have to collaborate with the government. That's a must do. Mm. Um, so uh, definitely, my guess is um, uh, Huawei will compromise in some way to if the uh, if the government or P PLA right mm -hmm. and give some orders that you have to do this and because of national security or something like that. I think in some way Huawei has to uh, compromise, uh, but this is all, you know, high secret stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, I think Huawei have to also have to, you know, make a balance, right? In a sense, you know, in this uh, commercial world, it's uh, just a company. It's a private company. He have, mm -hmm. he has to deliver his uh, service to customers and uh, care about uh, customers. So Huawei is trying to maintain the balance, you know, mm -hmm. to uh, in the benefit of um, of the customers, and the meanwhile they have to listen to the government. I think that's a must do. I th I th I think that's a tough thing for every company. I think in um, in, in in China, like Tencent, Alibaba, they all they, they all have to do this. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Like mm -hmm. it is something that. And um, it, it gets conflated outside China, but there is a, a clear divide between government and the and the, a private company which is for profit. They've got to you know build products that consumers around the world um, want to use, and that's. Um, but at the same time, when they're operating within China, they they absolutely have to obey the law, and uh, yeah. and there's nothing, um, no company is above that. Uh, okay. Cool. Well, thanks, Sam. Thank you for your time. Um, is there any um, is there any way that people can get a hold of you if they want to contact you online? Um, yes, and they can uh, contact me at Saminsa uh, S A M I N S H A at ChinaChannel dot Okay. And uh, also, I have a. I have a Twitter account. You've got a Twitter, there we I go. Can. All right, we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the yeah. show notes. Cool. Thank you for your time, Sammy. Yeah, um, Thank you. Thank actually, you as, as an interesting aside, <laughs> just to this whole conversation, um, today I'm actually in, uh, in the co-working space in, in, uh, in Shenzhen. The room next to me that I'm actually recording from was the old office of Ren Zhenfei, the CEO. Yeah, because uh, this is actually a really central location in Shenzhen. And uh, now that old office space is actually a smoking room that people use for, for good luck. <laughs> the idea is you have, a, you have a smoke in that room, which used to be the, the, the CEO's office, um, which is totally random. I did not plan that to record this here today uh, next to that room. But uh, just wanted to add that in well, there. Ranjo Fei is an interesting character. Um, there's not, it's very hard to get a lot of information about him. Um, I mean, with a lot of Chinese CEOs, it's the case, but some are more public than others. Um, he seems to be more private. Um, but you do hear stories. Um, and there, a lot of it is inconsistent. So I don't know how much is apocryphal, how much is, is true. But the one that was most frequently told um, is the story of there is this guy. He was, a, he was a Huawei executive. He was originally from Beijing. He worked with Huawei for a long time. And his family needed to go to Beijing, right? Um, you know, he had a wife there. He had you know his whole family there, 
and um and it was mostly about his wife like his wife's you know his wife's side of the family and everything like that um that was was really pressuring him to go back to to, to Beijing and he told Ren Zhengfei he said you know I, I need to my wife wants me to come back to Beijing is it possible that I can work remotely he goes, and Ren Zhengfei says no get a divorce <laughs> um so but it's but it, it very much is this it it shows like this this mindset that you're expected to have in Huawei um where it's mm. just like total devotion and and I I the when I first started looking into it I was like, oh, this like because I had I had talked to people. Everyone complains about working for Huawei. The, the Huawei element, even though I've never worked for Huawei themselves, the Huawei my interactions with people who had worked for Huawei, I, I kind of found them to be kind of assholes in, in some in some instances, and and like kind of being like, oh, Huawei represents what I don't like about working with Chinese companies. Lenovo represents what I do like, and that's still somewhat true. But I also have a lot more empathy uh, with kind of the Huawei experience, which, because like, what are they supposed to do? Like, I mean, they, they have their way of doing things and they're doing it in a way that is kind of messed up to us, but also kind of gets stuff done. And it's, it's the way that, that they know how to do it. Um, they're not trying to be something that they're not. Um, it's a way. It's a way that Chinese people get, and it's something they can do better than other people. And so, you know, if you are trying to build a, like a Chinese company culture that really can be on a global level, like what do you draw from? What do you do? Well, here is something that you can do. This is something you can draw from, and like it, it seems really messed up to the rest of us, but. Like from their point of view, it it works. I was talking with a, um, I'm not going to say what company he was from, but I was talking with an executive who was doing an, an overseas expansion for a major Chinese company. And um, I I I, have, I went to have dinner with him. He sat down and he said, "I read your article about Lenovo and Huawei." And I said, "What do you think?" And he goes, "I'm a Huawei guy. Like I've never worked for Huawei, but I believe in Huawei way." And I said, "Why?" And he's like, "Well, because Huawei gets stuff done. Like period." Um, and in some ways it's kind of just, I don't know what to think about it because like, it's just what a lot of people in China just know and it's how they know how to operate and how they know how to do things. So you can't really like, it's, it's difficult to be too critical because you know, what else are they going to do? How else do they know how to succeed? And I, and, and I don't know, you know, what that answer is. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if the cat's black or white as long as it catches the mouse, right? The results, the results speak for themselves. Yeah, right? yeah. So. But then the other side of it is as somebody who, you know, is kind of watching the rise of China and watching these Chinese companies and somebody who has been in them and has known, you know, I, for me, I'm very reluctant to take, you know, I basically work as a, you know, some sort of kind of freelance consultant in that I have, you know, four or five clients at a time. I kind of juggle them. If anyone gets to a point where I don't really like working with them, I can drop them. Um, so because, and the reason why I've done that is that like, I don't know if I want to work for a Chinese company because I don't know if I want to be part of that. Um, and one of the big reasons is like when you have this kind of military way of, of looking at I, someone, I was talking to somebody in researching this article and they were like, you know, no matter what happens on the outside in China, in a, in a good company in, inside, it's always war, right? It's always a war. 
if it's a good company. That's what this person said. That's um, crazy. Yeah, but and here's the thing though, is that like what what happens in war? In war, like shitty behavior it becomes justified, right? Like we're not supposed to kill people normally, but in war we can, right? You're not supposed to drop a bomb, <laughs> but in a war you can. Right? And I think that that this is also the dark side of Chinese company culture in that if you're looking at everything like a war, then there is no moral bottom line, right? There is like, I, and I think this is what, what I really struggle with, like really at the core is like, what, what's just not okay? You know, it, so if your one goal is that KPI, like what's an untouchable line that you can't cross? And I don't know what that is with these companies. Um, you know, is it, it I, I just don't, I just don't know. And fundamentally, you know, like with Lenovo, they'll have this kind of like, they have a, a corporate governance structure that is, you know, very similar to a multinational. And, you know, that, that there, are, there are checks and balances they have in place to kind of prevent that. Um, but with other companies, like, I, I don't know what that is. And, and I think that fundamentally, when it comes to my, my trust of Chinese companies, that that's where I really struggle is like, I don't know what's, what they won't do if they're thinking of that mindset and and that's that that's a that's that's tricky it's an it's an argument i mean i'll i'll make i'll make an argument that i've made on this podcast um at least at least once i mean i think that you know talking about for example um you know intelligence agencies and what what let's say china and and the us are doing either uh, abroad or or domestically um you know and it's one of those things where on, on the one hand, we could say, yeah, you know, well, if China's doing something, well, the U.S. is probably doing it too. And 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 to be honest, that's 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 I think that's a correct assumption. Um, but the problem is, is that the two things aren't equal in a, in a sense. At least at least if you if you uh, agree with uh, with Western values in in general, I mean, because so so yes, fine. Maybe the U.S. and China and Russia and all these different different countries are everyone's spying on each other in different ways. Um, all, all, all the governments are, are looking at different ways to, let's say, uh, manage manage the society. Um, on the one hand, keep people safe, but also make sure that existing structures stay basically stable. Uh, and so, there's different different degrees to which that this is that this is actually um, done. But at the end of the day, you know, in in the states and in the West, at the very least, even though these sim- similar things might be happening, at the very least, we still have due process, and we still and we still have a legal framework that is basically followed. Uh, you know, in the case of like you know Edward Snowden and and the NSA and all the um, you know phone tapping and, and metadata metadata collection, um, yes, of course, that's something that 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 the, that the American people should have known about. But at the same time. I mean, it was there was still a legal process behind that, even though Americans and the rest of the world couldn't necessarily see it, and even even the expectation that that this should have been public knowledge that or that more people should have known about it is is uniquely Western. Whereas in China, there's nothing like that. There's absolutely nothing like that. Um, and so, and, and you know, it's 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 one of those things where yeah, fine, everyone's doing it, but it's also a question of how you're doing it that, that I think is really important. And so this idea that, you know, that internal culture should be war. Um, I mean, that that's based on this assumption of, of scarcity. And you look at Chinese history, Ch- recent Chinese history, of course, and yes, resources are, have been very scarce. Um, public services these days are still very scarce. There's, there's a lot of competition for schooling, uh, for medical care, uh, for housing and, and things like that. But I mean, in general, on a, on a social level, you know, 
there's a lot of abundance these days, and we're and China is is quickly getting past uh, its um its its issues with scarcity, and so the idea that you know company cultures should stay the same, um, I think is is. Uh, is backwards, to be honest. Um, but also, you know, you, you can't necessarily equate the um, the effectiveness of an organization purely based on the system that that they use. Uh, I mean, again, again, when we compare the U.S. And, and China, I think one of the one of the most disappointing things that I hear is that you know, well, the U.S. is very messy and it takes Congress forever to pass a law, and you know, our president is crazy and and, and things like that. And it's like, yeah, fine, you're right, but democracy is messy. It's supposed to be messy. Uh, if you want, if you want, clean, if you want clean edges, well, you know, you come to China and and see see how that works. That works. Yeah, yeah, and I. So yeah, that's ex, it, it's it's hard. <laughs> it, it's hard for me. I don't really know how to because so many of these companies they see that like if you want to follow a a, a successful model for for globalizing, you follow the Huawei way for a lot of these companies. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't know if they, I don't know how to view it. Like, I don't know if it's, if it's something that is to be, you know, concerned about, if it's something that, that is altogether benign, if it is just, you know, additional, just, you know, really there. Because we, you know, another side of things, like a lot of companies do get lazy. Like, like the, and the fact that Huawei stays hungry, like that is, like, there's nothing, that's a good thing, you know? Um, like, do to to set up you know a, a culture that makes sure that your employees you know keep their drive i think that that is that's a good thing um but i don't know i'm i i don't have a have a clear feeling for where the um you know where the bottom lines are where the checks and balances are um or you know i, I just don't trust them ultimately um and that's i think fundamentally you know, getting at the the core of of talking about the Huawei people, people in Huawei don't trust each other. <laughs> um, that's what every. I had somebody send a, a message. I first of all, I wrote that article uh, in September, and I get messages still, at least a few a month, where it's somebody from working who works for Huawei in Egypt, who works for Huawei in Spain, works for Huawei in Sweden, right, or wherever. Who will send me messages, being like, "I read the article and I found it really true." Um, and one person was said, saying that there is something called there's mistrust and there is distrust, is what he said. No, no the, the question that uh, I wanted to get in is about, okay, so we've, we've talked a lot about Huawei. We've, we've talked a lot about Lenovo. Where does everyone else fit in in this scale? Um, and it, obviously, it might not be a linear scale. There might, there's, there's not just you know, one person. Uh, Way that we judge the company cultures because there can be all different kinds of company cultures. Um, but you know, broadly speaking, who is more on the Huawei side of things and who is more on the Lenovo side of things when we talk about everyone else in, in the big, in the big picture of China here? China here. I, I, that's a very very good question. Um, first of all, nobody is quite like Lenovo and Huawei because also a lot of the companies that are globalizing they're newer, they're younger, they're fresh, um, but they are still using their models. I think. Um, like for example, I was speaking with an Alibaba person, and they she basically had told me she had been a former Lenovo, and she had been like, really, what we're trying to do is she's like, my boss is a Huawei person, uh, like we have a lot of Lenovo, a lot of Huawei, and we're trying to build our own identity out of some kind of combination of the two, um, 
What I have found is a lot of it depends on the business that they're in um, and who the founder is. That generally, um, how international is the founder um, and how um, how much and what, what kind of business are they in? So you look at, for example, uh, a company like Jingdong. Jingdong uh, has kind of a history of being a bit more local. Um, they ha- are are starting their international expansion at the moment, um, or not, not not really starting, but still in the early stages. Um, but they're also a logistics company, right? So um, doing things in a more Huawei type way may actually benefit a company like like Jingdong, right? Um, because they have to set up things like you know they have to be reliable, they have to get things done, they have to like it, it doesn't matter if they're they're nice as much. Um, as long as they are able to deliver the goods, literally and figuratively. Um, but if you look at, for example, ByteDance, right, where uh, they have, they're they're younger, they're um, more international, um, and they're also making making a product and offering a product that really has to appeal to the sensibility of the user, right? Um, something that an approach for them may want maybe more something like Lenovo. Um, and you see that in the kind of people that they've hired, um, who are who spend a lot of time abroad. They're, they hire a lot more foreigners. Um, and so um, I, it's hard to say exactly like you know who's who's having a carbon copy of Lenovo or Huawei. But I think if you look at the kind of business that they're in, and also just the the, the personality of their founders as well, um, you can kind of get a, a feeling for. For what 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 approach they probably would would think would be best for them. Yeah, with the with the internal competition teams, you know that to me strikes is. I know for sure Tencent's company culture is quite similar. It's famously similar for being this uh, Saimar, uh horse racing horse racing culture, right? So um, that that part seems similar, but then in some respects. Um, you know, the higher management is actually quite international, right? So uh, the president is is from Hong Kong. Like they, most of it, they've got like chief strategy officers from from the UK. They're the top marketing guys from Malaysia. Um, so actually, at the higher levels, they're, they are quite they're more international than people realize, uh, much more. Um, and so I wouldn't say that they've got. It is a very different. It's it's not like Huawei, um, but there are elements that are like Huawei. And um, and then you look at like Alibaba, for example. Yeah, the founder's very international. But then I know from the people I know who work in Alibaba, they work extremely hard, uh, and uh, they're worked into the ground. Some of them, I think. Um, but uh, and 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 then they do have a sort of like thing. They they name their, they they also have this like warlike culture of like everything is a struggle, and you're constantly embracing change. Uh, and the teams get named after like uh, like. Uh, was it? They they also have like a very warlike sort of naming culture as well with the, with the different groups. So um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, and and that whole idea of nine nine six. Um, I mean, Huawei works a nine nine six. If 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 not, and you know, an eight ten seven. <laughs> um, you know, I I think that 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 when it comes to the intensity of uh, of how a company oper- how you know Huawei operates, 
I think that that companies have adopted that that's the one thing that I think is getting adopted across the board. Um, that no matter what company you're working from, you're adopting Huawei-like intensity, or at least trying to, um, uh, just because of the nature of 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 Chinese tech. And I think that that Huawei has really set the pace for that. Um, and say like, you want to be successful, like you know, like work out. <laughs> like it's a war. <laughs> So, so Elliot, you know, again, thanks, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to join us. I think that I think that uh, we weren't we uh, we weren't uh, worried about uh, being able to fill up fill up one hour, and uh, certainly that's that's true. I think there's a lot more to talk about, and maybe we can uh, we can get you on at uh, at some other point. Um, but before we do go, um, if if some of our listeners want to get in touch with you, where where can they find you? Sure. Um, you can add me uh, on on Twitter uh, at Elliot Zagman. That's E L L I O T T Z A A G M A N. Yes, I, my my name is uh, is redundant with uh, with letters. But you can also find <laughs> find me uh, on, uh, on on LinkedIn at Elliot Zagman. Uh, and if you want to add me on on WeChat, that's okay too. Just uh, E Zagman. It's E Z A A G M A N. And you can read my stuff because I regularly contribute to I contribute to TechNode pretty regularly, uh, Tech in Asia, and also Sub China as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. And we'll put we'll put all those uh, all those links in the show notes. Well, Elliot, thanks again. And that's about all the time we have for this edition of China Tech Talk. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on iTunes. Or if you're on Pocket Cast or Overcast, you can tap on that star button and it will recommend this episode to your network. And coming up in September, Matthew is organizing the China Chat Conference. It happens every year. I believe this is the third year that it's going on. It is a uh, a conference dedicated to digital marketing, in particular uh, WeChat, as you can imagine. It features the leading minds in uh, digital marketing and e-commerce here in China. Uh, featuring some of um, actually some of the people that we've had on the podcast, including Elijah Whaley, CMO of Park Lu, and Thomas Graziani, CEO and founder of Walk the Chat. That's going to be on September 20th and 21st in Shanghai, and the uh, registration link will be in the show notes. <music>